Well, let us begin our reflections today invoking the presence of those that invisible cloud of witnesses which cheers us on. Guardian angels and patron saints praying for us. Glory and honor, blessing and praise to Almighty God who has called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. With 50 years of service to our Holy Mother, Christ's Bride, now on the books, we here at Thomas Aquinas College arrive at this happy day, which we confer these degrees upon you, the class of 2022, and send you out to serve God and neighbor. And in the name of the innumerable figures who have visibly and invisibly contributed to your success, I pray that the spirit of truth, the advocate, be with you. For our Lord promised, you are to recognize him. He will be continually at your side. Nay, he will be in you. It is this truth-giving spirit that flows ex corde ecclesiae from the heart of the church which is the principle and the foundation of your education. Your perseverance in this gift has brought you to a place of unimaginable abundance, a fullness that makes you like God. Today marks a turning point in which you must now bear this spirit of truth into the disorienting maze of the world. Today begins a new entry in the history of your perseverance. A history that will not be complete until you stand before your Redeemer to deliver your account. May it be a heroic one. Heroic people, though, need heroes. Heroes beget heroes. So, search them out. Stay close to the ones you've found. Let their lives find an echo in yours. I found a hero here, though at the time I did not know it. In 2013, I came to Los Angeles for an ordination, and I paid the college a visit during my stay. It was a pilgrimage of sorts to see this beautiful new chapel and utter my lament before God as to how decadent the present generation of students was in comparison to the Spartan days of yore. <laughs> imagine, if you can, I know it's a stretch, but imagine what it would be like to pray while deprived of the aid of majesty. That day that I visited, my visit was marked by a somber Reality: the deaths of two individuals. The first was the death of one of the college's founders, Dr. Ronald MacArthur. By any account, the hero of many, and rightly so. The news of his passing reached us just a few hours before I was scheduled to offer the midday mass here. And I found myself scrambling to find some words to honor the, the passing of this great man in the presence of an unexpectedly packed chapel. And this was a challenge because I'd, I'd never met Dr. MacArthur, except in passing on a few occasions. I'd never had him as a tutor. The only contact I ever had with him, in fact, was an informal visit that he had made to the college 
during my junior year, about which I remember only two things. The first was that during an informal talk in the Commons with some students, he attributed not just the survival of the college, but its fruitfulness, its continued fruitfulness, to the daily recitation of the rosary, the habit of which was carried forward almost exclusively by the student body. He was emphatic about this. I was gratified to learn that you were just presented with a rosary in his memory. Uh, the second thing that I remember about him was also during that talk in which he declared that most Catholic institutions of higher learning were not worth the dynamite it would require to blow them up. <laughs> and I knew, well, I could never repeat that in a homily, so. Nonetheless, we made it through the Mass, and I had a chance, along with many others, to reflect on his legacy. And I thought about that day in which he spoke to us. Despite being in his 80s, his booming voice made me wonder what it would have been like to hear him in the flowering of his strength. So this was a hero, a, a, a giant that changed the course of many lives, present company included, and many hundreds more. We would be remiss for not acknowledging here in our Lord's presence the foresight and the determination of those who cut and graded this road for us in Christ's name. The second death, the somber mark of that visit years ago, was one that had only happened a month before. A young woman by the name of Rosie Grimm was a member of the class of 2010. She died of cancer, surrounded by her family, just a few moments after concluding the rosary for the last time. I read somewhere that the chaplain of the college at the time said that it was the most beautiful and peaceful death that he had ever seen. I don't believe I ever met Rosie. Um, I may have, perhaps as a member of a vast herd of Grimms that periodically stampede through the campus during their seasonal migrations. <laughs> Rosie's massive Christian burial had been offered here in this newly dedicated chapel, and a few of the memorial prayer cards with her picture on it remained at a, on a table near the chapel doors. And I picked one up and I read the following words. Does our life become from day to day more painful, more oppressive, more replete with afflictions? Blessed be he a thousand times who desires it so. If life be harder, Love makes it also stronger, and only this love, grounded on suffering, can carry the cross of my Lord Jesus Christ. Love without egotism, without relying on self, but enkindling in the depth of the heart an ardent thirst to love and suffer for all those around us, a thirst that neither misfortune nor contempt can extinguish. And there appeared in my mind's eye, very clear, the image of a young woman, mute with pain, clutching this prayer with the arms of her soul, serving her as a staff. It was a prayer written by Blessed Miguel Agustin Pro, taken from one of his many letters, 
And that prayer struck me, so I placed it in my breviary, little knowing that this was the beginning of a long friendship with this dashing and daring martyr priest. If you're not familiar with the life of Father Pro, allow me to share a brief excerpt from a book by Graham Greene, who wrote about his travels in Mexico not long after the Mexican Revolution, in which Father Pro died. In July 1926, Father Miguel Pro landed at Veracruz. He was 25 years old and a Jesuit. He came back to his own country from a foreign seminary, much as Campion returned to England from Douai. We know how he was dressed when, a year and a half later, he came out into the prison yard to be shot. And he may well have worn the same disguise when he landed, a dark lounge suit, soft collar and tie, a bright cardigan. Most priests wear their mufti with a kind of uneasiness, but Pro was a good actor. He needed to be. Within two months of his landing, the president had begun the fiercest persecution of religion anywhere since the reign of Elizabeth. The churches were closed. Mass had to be said secretly in private houses. To administer the sacraments was a serious offense. Nevertheless, Pro gave communion daily to some 300 people. Confessions were heard in half-built houses in darkness. Retreats were held in garages. Pro escaped the plainclothes police again and again. Once he found them at the entrance to a house where he was supposed to say mass, he posed as a police officer, showing an imaginary badge and remarking, there's a cat bagged in here, passed into the house and out again with his cassock under his arm. Followed by detectives when he left the Catholic house and with only 50 yards start, he disappeared altogether from their sight around a corner. The only man they overtook was a lover out with his girl. The prisons were filling up. Priests were being shot, yet on three successive First Fridays, Pro gave the sacrament to 900, 1,300, and 1,500 people. This is the stuff of legend. This is the stuff of the most excessive hagiography. How could the biography of one priest read like it was cobbled together from fragments of the Scarlet Pimpernel, the Acts of the Apostles, and Jeeves and Wooster? But this is no legend. Father Pro was executed without trial by the Mexican authorities. I've read somewhere that his was the first martyrdom in history to be photographed. In fact, this photographic record led to a marvelous twist in his story. Because of these famous photographs, the most immediate and temporal fruit of his life was after his death. The publication of the image of his final moments in the newspapers with his arms outstretched and the words, long live Christ the King, gentle on his lips, served only to galvanize popular resistance against the anti-clerical and atheistic governing class. It was a profound miscalculation on their part to publish it as a demonstration of their firmness. 
Many who had been deceived about the true nature of the revolution or who had made a cowardly peace with it were deceived and were mute no longer. The faithful turned out by the thousands to escort his remains to the cemetery where they wept as father as Pro's own father threw the first spadefuls of soil upon his bullet-ridden body. The tide of the struggle turned. The president was soon in exile. He who had sent so many to their deaths and who had desecrated the holy sanctuaries of religion with hatred and with blasphemy. But all of this was more or less unknown to me at the time that I found that card here in the chapel. And why I tell this story to you today is that years later, I found myself in a dark wood, as it were, grieved by the sorry state of the church, which seemed to grow at once more craven and more timid by the hour. I grieve the betrayals that have stained and wounded so many, and that, that disillusionment pressed me into mediocrity and lukewarmness. It felt as if the lights that were meant to brighten the darkness of this present age were winking out around me one by one. And it was then that that little prayer card of Rosie Grimm's inside my breviary made its way before my eyes again. And I discovered that the need of my soul was for a hero a steady light that could not be obscured. And in Father Pro, I felt the fresh breeze of the Lord's breath, what he himself promised as the truth-giving spirit, for whom the, for whom the world can find no room, because it cannot see him, it cannot recognize him. The power of the martyrs is that they draw evil into the open in the same way as Christ did on Golgotha. His innocence was an offense, a provocation. It is the fidelity, the justice, the innocence of the martyrs in imitation of him that seems to provoke the disgust of the enemy and incite him to deliver a smashing blow. And in the power of Christ, they do not flinch when that blow lands. And even though it bring devastation in the reign of Christ, the victory of evil is always a Pyrrhic one. Father Pro has become a waypoint of what the gospel calls the truth-giving spirit. He became that for Rosie as well, under far more dire conditions than mine. So I thought it fitting on this occasion to present you with a copy of that prayer, that little image that you found on your pews when you entered here into this Mass, an image of Father Pro, with the words of the prayer that gave supernatural purpose to the suffering of a young woman and to a young priest, Pope. So I invite you to take up that card and turn to the back and for us to pray the second part of this together. Many of you are set on your life's path. 
with your next steps in God's service confidently discerned. Others have yet to settle on what the anything refers to in the phrase, you can do anything with a liberal arts education. (laughs) Some of of you will continue your studies. Some of you will enter religious formation. And if this class is anything like mine was, some of you will be married before the year is out and not a few to each other. And in those endeavors, your most sincere and disciplined efforts to be faithful, to be just, to be innocent in imitation of Christ will provoke your enemy. Let him strike. And against that day, wind around your finger this little thread that has been spun, a thread that runs from Ronald to Rosie to Miguel to you. That when the master weaver has need of you in his handiwork, you will not miss the tug that assigns you to your place within that matchless fabric. And then, in whatever way it is being asked of you, stretch out your arms, profess your loyalty to his reign, and say then, as we say together now, I believe, O Lord, but strengthen my faith. Heart of Jesus, I love thee, but increase my love. Heart of Jesus, I trust in thee, but give greater vigor to my confidence. Heart of Jesus, I give my heart to thee, but so enclose it in thee, that it may never be separated from thee. Heart of Jesus, I am all thine, but take care of my promise, so that I may be able to put it in practice even unto the complete sacrifice of my life. Amen.